The scene that the psalmist is setting here is a, is a courtroom scene, and it's kind of a cosmic courtroom scene, though. Um, it begins with the judge, who is God, being identified as the Mighty One, the Great One, the Lord. You know, it's, it's almost reminiscent of the great and powerful Oz is speaking and coming. You know, and we're summoned to this courtroom, summon all the peoples to this courtroom. God is the judge. God is also the jury. God is the prosecuting attorney, and God will give the testimony. You know, what chance does a person have? You know, I think we're dead meat here. Uh, call the people. Everyone gather. God is coming with fire before God, and there's storms around God. I mean, this is something like out of Conan the Barbarian. You know, the, you expect drummers and so on. What this kind of reminds me of is the beginning of an Ohio State football game. You have, you know, the drummers line up on the field and beat that cadence, and it's just thrilling when they beat that cadence, and the, and the band then comes out. And, you know, this is the grand entrance. For whom? The drum major. Yeah. Well, that's what God's doing here. You know, this is the grand entrance for the judge, the jury, the prosecuting attorney, and the, and the witness. We're not used to this kind of God who comes with fire and storm and all of this. We're more used to God who supports us, God who's with us, kind of a quiet, friendly God, a God who helps us in our projects and kind of does what we want. But this is a very different God, and it makes us uncomfortable to, to experience this kind of God um, where we're basically getting called on the carpet. We're used to a God uh, that we can put in the defendant's chair. You know, yeah, we might have arguments with God. Why does God let this happen? Why does God do this? But God, you're the defendant. Explain yourself, and we, the judge, will, will be kind to you. This isn't that. We're in the defendant's chair. What do we do with this text? What do we do with this psalm? God's complaint here is that the worship of the people is hollow. It's, they use the right words, they sing the right songs, they, they dress properly, they pray properly, but it's hollow. It's not backed up by their behavior. Yes, God loves them. There's no doubt that God loves them, but God doesn't approve of their behavior. God has expectations. Throughout General Conference this February in St. Louis, I kept hearing from the stage and in the music, God loves the church, God loves the church, God loves the church. And I thought, yeah, God loves the church, I get that. 
But does God approve of what's going on? One person told me this week, my mother used to say to me, I love you, but I don't like you. You know? And that's kind of what this psalm is about. God has expectations. And God lays this out in about four verses toward the end. You've put your, my words behind you. What God's saying there is, you don't listen to me. You've put my words behind you. You see thieves and you associate with them. You make friends of thieves. Why would a person do that? Well, the thief helps them out. You think, you make, see thieves and make friends with them. It's a place where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's a place where the poor are ignored. It's a place where food stamps are cut. You make friends with thieves and ignore the poor. You make company with adulterers, people who don't keep their word, people who don't keep faith, people who betray, and people who aren't who they appear to be. You let your mouth have free reign for evil. Hate speech. That's the biblical way of saying you're into hate speech. Your tongue frames deceit. It's the biblical way of saying you lie. You don't treat people with integrity. You sit and speak against your brother and sister. You use divisive language and divide the family. It's interesting that three of God's complaints have to do with our language and our talking. The hate speech and the divisive language and the lying have effects and they multiply. Jesus takes this very seriously. Do not call your brother fool. Because what we think is what we do. God says, do not think that I am like you. Because I am God. And you are not. Then God goes on at the end of the psalm and says, Mark this. 
I rend. Other translations say, I will tear apart. Now that gets our attention. That gets our attention. God is no longer silent, and I will rend. That sounds awful. Let me ask, who are we more afraid of? God or our society? Is God damaging the environment? Is God polluting the water and the air and the earth? Is God making the air unbreathable? Who do we fear more? God or humanity? When we go to a movie theater and instinctively now look for the exit signs, when we come to church and instinctively look around where we can get out of here fast, who are we afraid of? God or active shooters? It's almost like we're showing God how to, how to rend and how to tear apart. To whom is God talking in this psalm? It begins by saying, call all peoples, call the earth to this courtroom because I'm not going to be silent anymore. And then God says, call my chosen ones, those who have made covenant with me. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm one of the chosen ones. I'd like to think I am one who has made covenant. I think who God is calling here is us, is us. I'm pretty sure when I went through that litany of hate speech and so on, we were thinking of somebody else. But God is saying, I'm talking to my chosen ones because they're the ones I hope will listen. As Solzhenitsyn says, the line between good and evil does not go between you and me. It goes down the middle of each of our hearts. On Monday, I got an email from one of our members who asked me to preach a sermon today that would be very strong against what happened in our country the previous week. And I kind of sat on that email for a couple of days. I intended to respond, but the person <laughs> responded to me, sent me another email and said, I'm sorry for, um, for my reactionary language with you. Um, I just get in these moods where I'm very judgmental of myself and other people. And I realize I need to be more compassionate. So disregard my email. 
and another person say to me this week that they feel the furthest from God, most separated from God. It's when God tells them to love somebody and they can't or they won't or they don't. They just can't love that person. God's complaint here is about how we love our neighbor and how we love our enemies and how we love those who rub us the wrong way, those we can't stand, those who disagree with us and we disagree with them. Gather my chosen ones. The key, there are a couple keys to a relationship, to understand a relationship with God. One is to know that judgment and love are two sides of the same coin. Often what we love, we judge because we want the best for that person. We want them to be fully human. The other key to our relationship with God is understanding the difference between punishment and discipline. I think parents, teachers, coaches, bosses understand the difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment um, <laughs> wants to wipe out the other person, wants to disappear and wants to get rid of them, wants them to leave and never see them again. I can't stand you. Get out. Discipline says, I don't really approve, but I'm gonna, I want to work with you. I want you to be better. And I'm going to take the time and the money and the effort and the inconvenience to care for you so that you can be fully alive and fully who you're meant to be. Punishment is kind of easy. Discipline is hard. When I was serving the church in Middletown, I got to know a family whose son um, was difficult and was getting more difficult. He um, was taking drugs, and he quit going to school, and it reached the point where the school was calling the police and having the police come to the family's house, go up to the son's bedroom and wake him up and take him to school. And when he was in school, he didn't do any of the work and was failing. The parents didn't know what to do. Ultimately, at the advice of the school, they um, filed unruly charges in juvenile court against their son. And I asked the father how he took that and how his wife took it. And he said, you know, I never felt so alone as when I was sitting in that courtroom, just our son and my wife and the judge, and hearing our complaint 
against our son. And I realized then, he said, how much I loved my son and how much I would hurt for him and want the best for him. The family went through several years of court-ordered probation and court-ordered supervision, drug tests, and it was a difficult time. And I saw the father recently, and I said, well, what happened to your son? He said, you know, he got a job, got married, they have a child, they have a house, he's got health insurance. And he sent me a Father's Day card, he said, and it said to the number one dad, sorry it took me so long to learn that. That's discipline. That's loving the person to lift them up. God is our judge. God is the prosecuting attorney. God is the jury. God is the witness. And God is also the defense attorney. The one who loves us the most judges us the most, and defends us the most. What does God want? The psalm says God wants the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is where we thank the other person. We thank the other person for what they've done to us and what they mean to us. It means we take ourselves out of the center and put that other person in the center. That's what God wants. God wants us to step aside from how we talk and how we act and put God at the center so we can love ourselves and love our neighbor and love God. As harsh as this psalm sounds and as scary as this psalm sounds, God is not out to punish us. God is out to discipline us. God is not going to lower the bar, but God is going to raise us. God wants us to be more, and God is going to work with us that we become more so that we can love our neighbor and love ourselves. May it be so. Amen.